Hey you, and welcome back to the RhizoCast with your host, Sue Hunt. You can find us at rhizomagazine.com or suehunt.com. All right, let's get right into this week's episode. And welcome back to the RhizoCast. We were able to do two interviews this week, one of which I am currently sitting with my dad, Turner Hunt, and I'm excited to have an open, intimate conversation about entrepreneurship, conscious business, climate change, using air quotes there, we'll dive into that, and a little bit about um, blockchain and crypto, because we hear so much about it in the millennial new age wellness space. How are you doing today, Turner? I'm doing very well. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, I saw you arrived on your one wheel. Yes, I did. It's a it's a very ecological way of transportation. Yeah, it seems pretty mobile. Yes, in fact, it'll go over various types of terrain. It's great. Yeah, that's cool. Um, also, Drew and Kayla saw you on your one wheel, <laughs> and then now, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and now Teo wants one. <laughs> oh, they're fun. They're, they're uh, it's loads of fun. Yeah, that's super cool. Okay, so first off, I wanted to just sort of frame a little bit of like my upbringing and childhood with you, because I think that, you know, I get a lot of questions in the astrology space and the connected spirit space of, you know, how do I start my own business? How do I work for myself? How do I take something that I love and monetize it and support myself? Mm -hmm. And, you know, having so many people come to me and ask that question, I started looking back into my childhood and I was like, well, how did I figure that out? And I was like, well, I think probably from age 10, sitting at the dinner table, (laughs) we started, you know, branding and brainstorming fake products, essentially. Right. (laughs) Apps, Mm -hmm. websites, Mm -hmm. business ideas. And um, just what a unique experience that was. Well, it's fun to just brainstorm. I mean, brainstorming is such a, it's a personal thing, but when you get together with a group of people, um, those ideas can be, you know, like a sounding board, and you can really um, refine some of the ideas that you've kind of always been lurking in the back of your mind, but you've never had the um, inkling to bring them out, but in an informal brainstorming, uh, brainstorming session, w- which you can do at a dinner table with young children who have, who have the best ideas, yeah. <laughs> because they're not constrained or confined to uh, conventional ways of thinking that that you know that you know as you grow up you you become more patterned and your brain becomes more patterned and you're mm-hmm. taught how to think and so forth so when you're young you have none of that and so yeah. you've got some of the greatest ideas you know that, that that makes that fun a very fun experience yeah yeah i mean i totally agree with that i i do think that is unique though i mean even just to hear you say that about the patterned adult brain and some (laughs) of the fearful choices we might make as adults like Mm -hmm. i can't quit this job because i need the insurance coverage Mm -hmm. even though it's Mm -hmm. making me sick Mm -hmm. right and then being able to look at a a child's mind and see such imagination yes it's um it's a wonderful thing actually because um I think as you, you know, go through the, um, let's say, elementary school and then middle school and so forth, um, you're taught to conform. Mm. Um, at, you're taught all kinds of different things, but one of those things is how to be, um, you know, how to behave in the particular environment in which you are in a, in, a, in a young school or an elementary school. And 
there's a lot of good things about that, but sometimes there's not so much good things about that. And mm-hmm. and you lose a portion of that innocence and the, of those original ideas that you could generate at such a young age. You know, yeah. and, you, and you you ask very simple questions. You know, sometimes some of the most difficult questions to answer come out of a four-year-old's mouth because it's so (laughs) it can be such an honest question Mm -hmm. and um yeah Mm -hmm. i mean this is one thing i sort of have on my notes here is that you know watching you over the years i know in your mind there might be some linkage from like career to career and i'm using air quotes there because Mm -hmm. as a millennial that graduated in you know 2008 right as the collapse is happening, we all started thinking about careers, you know, in a totally different way or our life's work in a totally different way, you know, but I was definitely lucky to have role models that didn't just stay in a long-term career. And that wasn't the only seed planted. Yeah, right. I think, you know, the 2008, 2009, and those years were some of the toughest in the toughest I've ever been through. Um, no doubt. But I think as a parent, one of the things that was always forefront in my mind was how do I maximize the opportunities for uh, my for my daughter, for my daughters? What, what set of actions can I take that maximize the, the uh, ability, you know, uh, of her to uh, grow and thrive and think independently? And, you know, I think a couple, you know, just a couple, three rules is apparent like that. And if you just stay true to those rules, you can, you know, you can move a lot of things ahead. Um, and I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. And so that was a little bit of the guiding force for the risk taking, you know, from afar. That's what it looks like of like, oh, I'm going to switch industries mm-hmm. or I'm going to mm-hmm. create a disruptive product in an industry that I I wasn't previously in. Exactly. And I think if you, um, you know, you have to sort of um, analyze an opportunity independent of the way others would look at it. And that's very important. Um, okay. C- explain that because that sounds very important. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to think uh, in general, I think, in absolute terms, not in relative terms. So relative terms is sort of like, well, my friend so-and-so is doing this and my other friend so-and-so is doing that and look, wow, they're, they're very successful and so on and so forth. Um, and that's great. You want to see that and you want to see your friends thrive, but at the same time, what they're doing may not be what is for you. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to, um, you know, kind of sit back and think from an absolute sense and say, okay, uh, put, put those things to the side and just think sort of analytically or critically about well, if I did A, B, and C, um, uh, you know, there might be a, mar- a market opportunity or there's a demand for this or, you know, p- people really need this service. And you can see those things much more clearly, I think. And when you then get into that opportunity or start pursuing that opportunity, um, you have a, a basis for understanding it much better than just being relative to what other people are doing. So, uh, in other words, be yourself, you know, in a nutshell. Yeah. If you can. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a it's a very strong uh, motivating factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I first became owner of my yoga studios that were in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, one of the things you said to me that was like really valuable, and this is me paraphrasing, is that you're going to have to mop the floor, take out the trash, and be the boss. Technically, there's really no hierarchy. There's no job below you, and there's no job above you. Precisely. <laughs> precisely. Um, you, you, in other words, you got to do what you need to do to move your dream forward. It's that simple. And... Okay, let me ask a question in that space, though. Mm. So how you you have like a bit of a samurai mind. You're able to detach your, you know, emotions or egoic programming from looking at the steps of what needs to be done, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes that's not super cloudy in your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you arrive there? I feel like some people struggle in the cloudy space of like, well, what do I need to do here? Well, um, one of the things that kind of always has helped me is... You know, if you have, let's say, two or three, one primary thing that you may be pursuing that you'd really like to get involved with, and you wake up every morning and you ask yourself the question, what have I done today that has moved me one step closer to that goal? And you just don't get to the goal by taking big leaps. You take small baby steps, and you sort of approximate each step um, and the success of that, uh, it's just small baby steps at one at a time. And literally I, I can remember for probably when I was involved in wind power development, um, you know, every day I would wake up and I think, okay, what's, what set of actions, what can I do today that'll move me one step closer on this particular project or that particular, um, development project. And you can create a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. A lot of momentum just with, with some small baby steps. So, um, and the and the other thing I should say is that the smaller the step that you take, you you know you can build up a series of successes. If you take a big leap and you fail it, it, uh, on that particular portion of your you know uh, reaching your goal, mm-hmm. it can be demoralizing yeah. and and it can be um, kind of set you back. So. Um, you know, what's the old expression, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew at a time. And But, you know, you can make many bites, small bites over a long period of time and move mm-hmm. yourself in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great suggestion. I think that self-confidence and just self-trust is a muscle that you have to actually build its strength. Precisely. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot and then all of those things drop. Right, and you got to be sort of gentle with yourself. You don't be too harsh on yourself. You, after all, it's an experiment, so to speak. It's all an experiment, mm-hmm. and you are just trying to um, um, promote the best outcome you, that you can through a series of small, small uh, approximations or small steps that will mm-hmm. get you there. Yeah, so in sort of my generation and sort of in the new age let's have something behind our business that affects the globe in a positive Mm way, right? So words are used like conscious entrepreneurship or um, environmentally friendly entrepreneurship, conscious business, right? These are all terms that are really starting to get thrown around now. And, you know, obviously I know a little bit about your astrology, your Virgo with a Capricorn stellium, right? So that is the astrology translation of conscious business <laughs> or service-based business. I don't know what all that means, but yeah. it sounds something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like 
my point is that I knew you wouldn't have heard those terms, but you know, watching you from afar all these years, there's always a mission inside the things you've dedicated the most time for. Yes, there's a hole in the market that you're filling, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these like business things that make sense, but underneath the mission and then the long-term goal has a positive outcome for earth or for a given um, alienated population or diverse populations, right? So I think that that's something that my generation like craves Mm -hmm. and strives for that can be very difficult in an extractive economy. So how did you land on those particular ventures? Well, I think just the basic question you need to, to ask yourself is, do you feel good about what it is that you're doing now? And will you feel good about the goal that you're pursuing in terms of its um, macro effect. I mean, you know, the micro effect is, well, I may be able to make a living doing that. I may be able to put money in my pocket because of that, and I could pursue that as a career. But then a sort of a broader question is, do I really feel good about the product that I'm gen- that I'm creating and the, the benefit that it would provide um, to others? And um, I think the, both of those considerations you know, I think are equally as important. Mm-hmm. Um, while putting money in your pocket is great because you're pursuing some um, economic um, need or satisfying an economic need, I think then coincident with that question, you must ask the other one, which is, do I really feel good about the product and services that I'm producing and their effect on, you know, the larger population? Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think that that's an easy an easier way is to just keep both of those questions forefront in the in your mind as you as you pursue that your particular goal your goal or or set of goals that you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And then you know that sounds awesome, uh-huh. you know, and I'm like I get it. I watched you do it, right? And then sometimes it's like, well, how do I do? I have to take a bigger risk, or how do I actually have those two things line up? That I am sustaining myself, I feel good about it, and it's producing mm-hmm. positive change for the earth or a given population. Mm-hmm. Well, I can just from a um, what I remember, for example, um, and I can talk specifically about wind power development. Um, there, in the beginning, um, you don't know where the wind is. You you don't, it's like you have to go prospecting, uh, mm-hmm. like you would, um, um, like, you know, when you go and drill an oil well, you don't know if there's oil down there or not. You, you're, you're taking a risk and you're, you're putting yourself out there. And there were many instances in the beginning where with wind, what you do is you take a meteorological tower. It's a 200 foot tower and it has the, uh, animal. You illegally climb up it at night? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you can do that, but that's not what, um, Um, More properly, you get a um, meteorological tower. It's just a big pole, and it has guide wires, and it measures the wind speed and so forth. And there were many instances where, you know, where I would, oh, well, this must be a windy spot. Let's go over there, and we stick up a tower for six months and get the data and realize, no, this really doesn't look like a good place. And so Mm -hmm. it's not as though you failed. What you have done is you've just eliminated one possibility, and you move on to other possibilities. And I think um, while sometimes the answer no is very discouraging, actually the answer no is can be very encouraging because what you've done is you have narrowed 
your focus. Mm-hmm. You have um, created um, uh, a more defined pathway for yourself to pursue because, um, I mean, even in the beginning when you, uh, you know, set a, a series of goals, you, you think that some are achievable and some may not be, but as you move down the path, you can, you're going to get a lot of answers that are, no, don't go that way, or no, you shouldn't be doing that because it's just not working out. And those, while those may be temporary setbacks, they actually move you in the, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that's valuable. You know, I think sometimes no can be a big ego hit, but if you're committed to the end goal, it's like, oh, well, I can't go left because there's a barricade there. <laughs> So if I want to get there, my only option is right. So I'm going that way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I answered your question exactly. but No, no, you totally did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's really valuable. You know, I think that one thing that's sort of under the rug that is definitely of interest to many listeners is, but when you started looking at when, 20, 25, 22 years ago, Right, yes. describing the process that you're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone around you was like, no way, dude. <laughs> right, this isn't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and absolutely. In fact, um, take, for example, um, in the state of Indiana, we, we built the first utility-scale wind farm ever in the state, and that was in 2005 or 2006. And it had, it had never been done before. Mm-hmm. And so... Well, I remember sitting down with farmers at their kitchen table, and I'd say, well, I'd like to put a couple of windmills on your property, and they would say, you want to do what? <laughs> <laughs> so um, don't be af- yeah, so don't be afraid to take the first step. Um, maybe I could bring up a book that I read one time. It's called Zero to One, written by Peter Thiel. And it's that step to go from nothing to one mm-hmm. is perhaps the most important step. The step from one to two, since you've already gotten, you know, that one step under your belt. Um, it's a very, um, I think, enlightening uh, book with regard to um, just how to, how to think about it, or how to frame, how to frame an opportunity and, and, and move it forward. With and and to not be again, this goes back to the to the absolute thinking and the relative thinking, and mm-hmm. um, to be much more absolute in your thinking, um, and to not be um, persuaded by others who would tell you no, that, that'll never work. So that's um, um, I think that's very important mm-hmm. to keep in mind. And then, like, really, when you're in the zero to one phase. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to keep the thinking out of the mind that's all the future details that can sometimes limit the idea or limit the growth or limit your access to possibility, mm-hmm. right? So what are some like skills or personal things you've done when you know you're in the zero to one phase that you're not like, well, what's the name of it going to be? Mm-hmm. And who's my customer going to be? Mm-hmm. And are other people doing this, right? All the out de- like external validation details that come later, right? Right. I think that, you, you know, it's important to just, you know, frame it in a few sentences and in f- frame your pursuit or your goal in a f- as, as a few sentences as possible so it can remain as simple as possible. Of course, you know you're going to get to, 
you're going to need a name. You're going to need some people who may help you do this. You, you're going to need other resources and so forth. But but businesses don't generally fail because of lack of resources. Oh, we didn't have enough money at the time. We couldn't we couldn't raise enough capital. Um, they don't fail because of lack of resources. They fail because mostly of lack of focus and initiative and just a you know, stick to it, uh, attitude, persistence, and um, perseverance. Um, those are those, you know, I, I would value those much higher uh, um, personality traits than I would, um, you know, other things when it comes to sort of starting a business and keeping it moving forward and so forth. I mean, if, you know, if, you just you find a way. You will mm-hmm. find a way mm-hmm. because there's a you know two words that are very much alike: resources and resourcefulness. Uh, both come from this. I think from the same Latin root, but they mean totally different things. Resources. Oh, I didn't have enough resources. Versus resourcefulness, which is, <clears throat> you know, uh, I'll find a way. Mm-hmm. If I can't, if I if I can't. <clears throat> You know, move it away. I will find a way, mm-hmm. and I think it's that persistence. And um, of course, the other um, important factor that you, that most people and <clears throat> do not have control of is timing. Mm. And timing is, you know, it's got to be. You don't have to re- be able to read tea leaves and say, oh, in five years, this is going to be a big thing. But you just have to have a little bit of foresight to see, you know, what might be coming around the uh, corner in the next, you know, year or two or that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So resourcefulness is is without a doubt probably the number one determinant in terms of the success or failure of a startup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, I know that your hunt, you persevere, <laughs> you know, it is like <clears throat> sort of written into our family code for sure. And then the sense of resourcefulness. And then there's this like little sweet spot that you might be overworking or you might be going down a path that you're pushing too hard to create. And then you miss the opportunity to be resourceful yes. in a different direction. So yes. how do you see that pivot? Well, it's all, it's important to have a friend or friends who from time to time can sort of grab you by the shoulders and give you a, a, a little shake and say, um, wow, why are you going in that direction? That seems kind of odd. And you some, and, and in many, uh, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to see you're so engrossed in a subject or a subject matter or a pursuit that you become blinded mm-hmm. by certain things because you're, 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 you're too focused, and so it's important to um, seek out advice of your friends, but to seek out um, negative advice. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody likes to be praised. Everybody yeah. loves to be praised, <laughs> but that's and it makes you feel good and so on and so forth. But it that doesn't help you move forward. What what helps you move forward is critical thinking by others who might be able to give you advice, and um, that's the advice you should be listening to. Um, that's good advice <laughs> <laughs> because, um, you know, the best advice is critical advice from someone you trust. Mm-hmm. 
um, and someone who may have some uh, idea of the subject matter that you're uh, pursuing. Mm-hmm. And um, so just taking candid advice is very important. Mm-hmm. But not, you know, and then you have to then sort through those things. But it's the negative things that are the negative advice that you're given. While may may be painful at the time, it may be very, very helpful uh, in the in the longer run. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I love the response and I, I love hearing it in that way. You know, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit and just in this instant gratification world where we're all seeking external validation from our new social mediums through which we, you know, interact and, you know, just our rearing process of how at the beginning of the podcast talking about conformity and, you know, needing to be accepted. Um, what is some of the like relational tools like that you used early on in business to say like this person is worth trusting and I can really accept this critical feedback because that's that is a difficult relationship to form to accept mm-hmm. accept negative feedback it's because we're so programmed to seek positive feedback on a deep neurological level I think and um most people realize and understand that um if all they received was praise their entire life, they would, they would be very one-sided. And most people just have a sort of a genuine understanding that that can't always be the case and you're not always going to be praised for everything you do. And so I think you have to um, listen. One of the, the greatest assets you can have is the ability to listen um, and to listen very closely to others uh, as they speak. Sometimes it'll be um, not meaningful, but other times it can be extremely meaningful. And um, I think that, you know, that's an often overlooked, um, for instance, like in social media, you go out there and you put yourself out there and you, you, you're, you're telling other people what you're doing, mm-hmm. okay? And it's just a series of, of of postings that that you make over a period of time that you're te- but you're you're not really listening to others now you may be seeing the other things that they're posting and the other things that they're involved with but are you really um, it it doesn't um, substitute for you know a good face to face conversation where you can intently listen to someone else who may have critical feedback for you that is and and you know. While it may be difficult to listen to it sometimes, think about the other person who's delivering that advice to you. Um, they don't want to um, upset you too much. They may say, oh, your idea is just um, <laughs> you're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, what you need is concrete examples as to why it's ridiculous. And if someone can actually list you know, a several three things as to why um, they, they're telling you why their critical feedback is the way it is and they can provide concrete examples. That's something you should really listen, listen to. Others and the other 90% who will tell you, oh, that'll never work, but they don't have any specific reason as to why it won't work. There's not much to listen there for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Can definitely tell now you know, how to look out into the landscape of relationships that you have and say like, okay, this person is listening, just like I'm listening. Mm-hmm. They're invested to a degree. They're invested in my long-term emotional health, my long-term financial health. Um, 
my long-term spiritual health, Mm -hmm. right? So I can accept this feedback, however negative it is. Yes, right. And don't, uh, you know, feel that they're no longer your friend if they give you uh, critical feedback. Um, They may be um, more of a friend, actually, because they're they're helping you, um, you know, move your um, worldview forward or move your business opportunity forward, mm-hmm. and may perhaps in a different direction. And that's that is invaluable, sometimes in super invaluable advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a a pretty good friend. He's probably ten years older than me, and we talk a couple times a year. And we talked yesterday, and he used this speech, which I really appreciated, which was, can you tell me what you think as a learning perspective for me? <laughs> That's how he said it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, he really wants me to, like, be truthful. Mm-hmm. He, like, mm-hmm. welcomed that opening, which I think is pretty rare. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean... Um, and we're just, like, friends chatting mm-hmm. it up. This isn't, mm-hmm. you know... I just, I really appreciated that speech. It, it distills kind of what you're saying. Yes. How do you develop a relationship with someone like that? And I've, I have felt lucky because it's in my notes here, like working with family members, right? It's usually like a mega no-no. <laughs> <laughs> right. That that in itself can provide many complications. Yeah. Working with family members, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it can be extremely like builds trust builds respect builds appreciation you know it can mm-hmm. it's kind of one or the other and i'm a non-binary worldview person so <laughs> that says a lot <laughs> right i mean going back to the critical feedback it's just simply honesty someone who's willing to be open and honest with you um and and so that they're not some sort of protecting anything and they're and they're going to lay it out there for you uh that's 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 someone that's um, you should you you might want to uh, value higher than others in terms of of the other you know your your um, of the many friends that you may have <clears throat> mm-hmm. because um, yeah there's there's nothing more important than just um, you know if somebody's sugarcoating something or if they if they think to themselves well I I if I came out and said this exactly the way I think, and I may offend that person or so forth, but um, that's a kind of unbridled thought that you that needs to come to you in that, you know, that you can um, really listen to. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. One more thing on this topic, and then I have mm-hmm. another question here in the ethers, but, you know, I think sometimes the the inner, like, just meshing that happens with your business idea or your outward facing personality and your self-worth actually decreases your ability to take negative feedback. Right. There's a dynamic there that um, is not so productive, Yeah. right? Because on the one hand, you want to move this idea forward and you've got a goal and you are taking steps to do that. And then on the other hand, um, you can get demoralized and dejected and, and and feel like yourself, oh, wow, this is never going to work. And and so self-doubt, I would call that self-doubt. And I've got plenty of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, maybe too much of self-doubt. But in a sense, self-doubt is its own guiding principle. It's, very, it's kind of like, uh, can I use the word faith? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
where um, what creates your faith is your your doubt to begin with. Mm-hmm. And without that self-doubt, you can't create um, your own self-confidence. It's sort of like two sides of the same coin. And um, um, so while you may feel, um, you know, dejected at some points, that's actually fuel that can help you move forward. And um, because you don't want to stay in that space, but for so long, yeah. <laughs> because it, 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 it does um, kind of drag you down from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so you, I think it's important to use that as fuel to help move what you really want to do forward. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it's, a, it's a, sort of a conundrum, but you can use it in your, at, to your own advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well put. So when you were exploring, you know, getting into wind really on the front end of it in this country, did you have the climate in mind? Was that a driving force for you? No, it wasn't. Okay. No. Um, So I uh, got involved in uh, wind in around the turn of the century, 2000, 2001 timeframe. And um, I think the only thing that I had seen, I don't know exactly here, was the movie An Inconvenient Truth mm-hmm. by uh, Al Gore. Yeah. Um, it was, when it came out, it's extremely controversial. Yeah. That and, was in like 2001 Right. Or so yeah. the question that kept coming back was, okay, we all understand that the um, average annual temperature of the globe is ever so slightly rising. And then there's a group of people that, well, why is that happening? Mm-hmm. And some people, well, it's human-induced. And other people, no, it's not. It's just a natural process. And so that, that debate continues. Yeah. Um, but I think as we've seen over this you know, two-decade period since the turn of the century, um, that there is sort of incontrovertible evidence that Human-induced—it's—it it's, it is human, in, not maybe not all of it, mm-hmm. but a good portion of it is human-induced, and um, I think I've uh, sort of <laughs> haven't fine. answered your question exactly, but um, no. In the beginning, um, the thought of climate didn't really have anything to do with my decision to get involved into wind power development. Um, it just so happened over time that um, you know it became a more and more important um, important factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the initial impetus was really just like a hole in the market, or because you were an well, uh, engineer that dealt with like fluid dynamics, you knew what to do. Well, or? Um, ironically, I had a background in real estate development and uh-huh. also in aeronautics, and you put the two together, and you, yeah. a wind farm is a sort of a, a good intersection between the two of those um, skill sets. Um, so it just simply made sense. Mm-hmm. It made a lot of sense. Um, and, of course, I had, um, um, you know, some understanding of... Uh, you know fossil fuels and what and and what they were and what you know emissions and that sort of thing so i wouldn't say i was completely um had no knowledge of um 
you know, or climate change or those types of things. But um, I think, uh, you know, it really makes more um, more sense to to just follow your own curiosity. Um, follow um, and and to, and. Oh, by the way, if I am able to be successful, this may be a side benefit, or this may be a um, another benefit of what I'm doing. But that's if if you're if that's your driving purpose, you you may you you would take a probably a different path mm-hmm. than than if you just sort of look at it from a um, from an economic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I, did that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, you know, two decades later, essentially, because you're definitely someone who's like, I don't pick sides. I look at the research. I look at what's actually occurring, you know, the facts that are happening. Yes. Um, when did the influence of that, you know, being involved in renewables is actually beneficial mm-hmm. to the climate crisis. When did that enter the space? Um, yeah, I think, I think that I, I mentioned that movie. I, I, I honestly don't, I could Google it. I don't remember the exact year, but mm-hmm. um, that really brought it to the forefront in my mind. Um, prior to that, it was um, the domain of college professors right who would who could put up a series of charts and say look look what's going on and um look at this uh, the temperature rise or the co2 concentration at the such and such observation station in hawaii or something and it all seemed very um like an academic research project at the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. but it's now become very mainstream and for example, here we sit in New Mexico, and three months ago we had the largest wildfire ever in New Mexico's history. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, things just seem to keep piling up like that. Yeah. Yeah. What's your thought on um, the impending doom of climate refugees? And this is a, a slightly political question, but it doesn't have to be in the political binary. But, you know, how are we going to accept climate refugees across borders and that time is here. Well, I, I, a lot of that has a lot of political answers to it. But if you were to, let's say, go to the year 2100, which is 80 years from now, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got this uh, intergovernmental panel, um, you know, international panel on climate change and so forth, and they're trying to limit temperature rise to one and a half degrees Celsius or something like that by taking a you know, a set of actions now, um, 80 years before we think that those temperature rises will occur, that would minimize that as much as possible. And there's all kinds, you know, are there? there's 230 countries in the, in the world and only 20 or 30 of them are, are actually trying to think about you know, what, what can we do now to try and prevent those sorts of things. And um, it's... it's um, it's a very difficult solution because um, if if um, it, because uh, anyway one of the things that I th- when COVID hit in 2020 and I don't mean to, to digress here but one of the first maps that I sh- saw was a um, it was a map of China and it showed 
you know, we have, there's, there's satellites that circle the planet that can look down and see carbon dioxide mm-hmm. emissions, and you can see exactly where emissions are occurring. Well, when economic activity decreased, these satellites realized, oh, wow, look at all the CO2. It's dried up or it's gone away because of the reduced economic activity because everybody's now in quarantine and so forth. And it was a very um, uh, real link between economic activity mm-hmm. and the amount of CO2 that was being um, emitted. Yeah. Um, and so what I think... you. Know, what we need to do is to, you can't do it all at once, but over a period of time, you can move away from a carbon-intensive economy to a carbon-free or a low-carbon economy. And that that's something that we, we all need to get to. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it happen every day. You know, electric cars are becoming much more prevalent. Um, Wind power and solar power are becoming much more prevalent, but they're still very small slices of the pie. Yeah, Yeah, and that's, I mean, I'm a little doomsday with it, not going (laughs) to lie, because I think we could be making changes more quickly. Um, But I also, you know, there's two main narratives of that. We need to go back to the old ways. You know, and I like I'm on the other side of the spectrum, but I also am not a technocrat where I think technology is going to save the globe. So then there's this gray area in the middle of like, okay, there's so many people in the world that, you know, they need to rise out of economic oppression. They they need to have a totally different access to resources, right, that we some of us have in this country. Mm-hmm. Right. And that would put more strain on the globe as we sort of rise out of developing. Right. But from a sort of social justice way, we we need that. Mm -hmm. But we also see so much more impact on the environment if we stay in the same trajectory. But our population is so huge at this point. Yeah. So it just seems like these answers are going in opposite directions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then that leaves someone who is an altruist who does trust humanity mm-hmm. in this gray space of, okay, well, what are the things that I can do? Mm-hmm. What are the things you can do in your daily life? Not like my personal. We, mm-hmm. I think a lot of listeners know that. Like mm-hmm. reduce water, single-use plastic, don't use plastic straws, like sure. all that kind mm-hmm. of marketing. Mm-hmm. And I say marketing on purpose, like greenwashing is out there. Do you see what I'm saying? But what is a larger step in the gray space of like, I do trust humanity, but I also am worried about the degradation of the environment. I know what to do on a personal level, but on a larger organizational level. Well, I think it's important to get involved in 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 the in community efforts that um, recycling, for example, for example, here in uh, New Mexico, after COVID, they stopped all recycling efforts. And so I can't, my cardboard and my uh, Mm -hmm. aluminum cans, all this stuff, I can't do what I'd like to with those and get those all recycled and so forth. So um, it's time to speak up in in your own community to help... um, those things that you know that should be should be done um, and to help move those along and become a part of a much larger group that has an awareness of those things. Mm-hmm. And then what do you think about, you know, we're lucky here because we're so, full solar, daytime solar by 2023, if we're mm-hmm. not already there now, I'm not sure. 
you know, but like when I lived in New York City, the option to offset some of my power Mm -hmm. coming from fossil fuels in the grid, you know, I could pay extra on my utility bill to do that. Is that worth it? Yes, it is worth it because, you know, you vote every day with your dollar. And um, in fact, that may be your most powerful way to vote is with your dollar. And if you can pay an extra, let's say, $5 a month for the green power option from your utility, that's important and and you should do that because that helps move that that program forward and there'll be more of it mm-hmm. uh, because of because there's more demand for it um, yeah so that's uh that's one way to to help uh you know if if you you're cl- to move your climate consciousness forward um, mm-hmm. yeah definitely I think that's valuable, and I think that you know a, a large portion of the listener base definitely resonates with you vote with your dollar. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's um, a little bit of hypocrisy around that space of well, I'm also so addicted to convenience, but I definitely vote with my dollar, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. There's many offsetting factors, um, but. I, I, you know, I'll go back to the small steps, a series of small steps that you can take over a sustained period of time can add up to a much greater uh, outcome than you could ever imagine. I think in the beginning, people underestimate their ability to create change. And then in, as the change is happening, they underestimate their ability to continue to move that forward. So, um Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it's a series of, of, of small steps that you can take. And, you know, you could, um, if there's any number, and I think you just listed a, a handful of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a, in a larger sense, uh, awareness of other people, because, you know, for every one of your listeners that's on this podcast that has an idea about um, climate, there's another five or ten who don't. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the friends that I worked with, he set up a nonprofit called ACE. It was um, ACE, uh, Association for Climate Education. And, mm-hmm. and he started out a program to introduce into uh, elementary schools and middle schools a um, curriculum um, or a, a a short program that would introduce young children to the climate and what was going on with the climate, mm-hmm. and this has been a, been very successful, and it's gone into many states. And um, yeah, and I'm I'm have, have proud to have worked with someone who has actually, um, you know, p- put his his um, time and effort into such a um, important undertaking is that because it's those children that will grow up to be adults and you know that will have a much greater understanding of their impact on the climate and their decisions and and the daily decisions they make and how that how that will affect climate in the long run Mm -hmm. yeah that's huge that's definitely something i've thought about for a decade right I've, I've always been really connected to the ground that I call home. I think that's just a part of who I am and how I was raised in a small town and now living in a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely been a question of mine, I think, for the population at large, is that we all know the data. 
And that doesn't actually seem to be changing behavior. So what's the emotional linkage to land or place that's missing in the rearing of our children so that we actually have an emotional connection? We're emotionally moved to say, I'm not going to choose the convenient Mm -hmm. option. Mm -hmm. I'm going to actually go to my farmer's market and buy food in season and support someone that works on the land I live on. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, we've become very conditioned as a people um, for example, when there's a hurricane and we rush in with all kinds of um, support equipment and uh, relief aid and all this sort of stuff. And we're, we're, we're fairly good at that because we can see immediately, oh, look at the devastation of that hurricane. Climate, mm-hmm. climate change is much, much different than that. It almost happens silently. It happens um, invisibly. Mm-hmm. And so the warning bells don't go off like they do in a big hurricane or some natural disaster comes sweeping through. And mm-hmm. so it's it's a, almost like an invisible enemy, so yeah. to speak. This is, this is exactly why I got out of teaching integrative therapy in hospitals because I was like, I'm working in a sustainable model mm-hmm. and I'm in an environment that's working in a crisis model. They don't line up. Right. Yeah. So... It's the um, the invisible enemy that is the most difficult because when you try to then galvanize other people and bring them together and say, look, see what's happening, um, there's no immediacy to it. Oh, that's 100 years from now. Oh, that's uh, it's not going to affect us kind of thing. Um, but uh, I think it's more important, you know, to look out. I mean, while it may not the actual... Um, consequences may not fully manifest themselves in your lifetime. They certainly will in your, uh, your, you know, your offspring's lifetime, and mm-hmm. and their and their children's children, and so forth. And um, uh, I think you just have to have a little bit of compassion for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's very. We're impo- all about that over <laughs> here. <laughs> That's, that's, just, that's just very important. Um, and sometimes it's difficult because there's a whole, you know, half the population that really couldn't care much less about what happens in 15 years from now than what happens tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very difficult thing to work with, and particularly when it comes to public policy and um, um, and those sorts of things. It's, it's difficult to to, uh, to craft effective policies that... that because generally, you're usually, if you institute some program, you want to see results from it immediately. And and, yeah. and again, just like the silent enemy, you don't see mm-hmm. the, you can't see the true benefit of what you're doing for, for many years um, when it comes to climate change. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a difficult, very difficult uh, in, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to just sort of take us in a different direction, really, for the last like 10, 15 minutes. Um, okay. So in my space, right. In like sort of the fringy wellness yoga, um, new age space, the conversation around blockchain has just Mm. exploded as if Mm. it is the thing that will save the globe (laughs) 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 and a lot of pressure to invest. And I know, I think it was 2020 or early 2021 that, Bitcoin, yes, if you were in it, it was great. Exploded, right. Yeah, and so that Mm -hmm. also added to this 
I hate the word conspiracy, but it feels and sounds like that sometimes, you know, getting echoed back to me from, you know, my generation about you should really get into it. You mm -hmm. should really mm -hmm. learn about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm definitely, I'm like a pessimistic meditator. That's how I describe my worldview. You know, I am very altruistic, but I do really want to see the, like when you push something through a cheese grater, it's just going to spew out things that we can't see right now. And so I'm wondering your thoughts on this idea of decentralizing currency. And if we do that too quickly, what sort of strife and issues would happen globally and why people blindly think that that might be the way that we mm -hmm. change the world? Well, so blockchain is the underlying technology through which all cryptocurrency operates. And a blockchain is nothing but an open ledger, a public ledger that says that, you know, I transferred to you um, one Bitcoin or uh -huh. three Ethereum coins or whatever. And everyone can see that because mm -hmm. the the ledger, so to speak, was not, nothing but a series of credits and debits, right? Okay. Can it, I ask a question? Sure. So is all blockchain open source or is different cryptocurrency open source and some is not? So each particular, it's my understanding that each particular coin or like Bitcoin has its own ledger. Mm -hmm. Ethereum, which may be the number two crypto uh, coin of popularity, has its own open ledger. And while you can convert Bitcoin to Ethereum and back and forth and so forth, that becomes then part of both of the ledgers. So one of the things that is that I hear quite frequently, which I think is just absolutely incorrect, is that, oh, um, you know, uh, cryptocurrency is used by um, hackers and other people to hide mm -hmm. what they've done. Actu right. Actually, it's more difficult to hide uh, financial transactions in the blockchain because its nature is an open ledger where everyone can see who transferred, you know, that amount to there. And, mm -hmm. and you can see you know, which wallet. So it's a series of, um, every, you know, I don't know if you, do you have a Bitcoin wallet or have you ever? Mm, Dan does. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So, um, so yeah. is that why it's so appealing? Because no one has control over it. Right. There is no control. And so. I see sort of, because I, I definitely lean into anarchy mm -hmm. in certain mm -hmm. ways. And I think that, that there is like a renegade way to change a system when it isn't regulated in that way or it isn't central or no one has control over right. it. Right. But then there's also the cheese grater effect where there will be like violence, upset, resource hoarding that obviously is already occurring but might occur in other ways that we can't see right now is, is my question. Well, uh, I think by its nature, um, an open public ledger it is solves all kinds of problems, mm, all okay. kinds of other uh, shenanigans that would go on in the private financial system that cannot occur uh, because it is an open public ledger. Um, yeah, so what you're relying... so. To, I think, you know, to understand what cryptocurrency is, you really got to ask yourself the question, well, what is money? Yeah. Okay. And you have to understand exactly what money is. It's the ex exchange of value between one person and another mm -hmm. for some service rendered rendered, or or something like that. But, um, and, you know, back in the 70s, the United States was still on the gold standard so that 
when you when I gave you a dollar in 1970, mm-hmm. that dollar was backed up by some small amount of gold that sat in a you know Fort Knox, Kentucky, or something. Yeah. And then eventually we were taken off of the gold standard, so that then all you were relying on at that point, when I gave you a dollar, you were relying on the full faith and credit of the U.S. government at that point. Mm. There was no gold backing it at yeah. all. And now we're to a point where... So is that also the intrigue? Because we've lost a lot of trust yes, in the U.S. government. Right. Yeah. The term full faith and credit of the U.S. government is a, is a well-known term mm-hmm. that, that is derived from the money that we exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our debt, for example, the, the, the public debt that the U.S. Is, hold, is holding is backed by, quote, the full faith and credit yeah. of the U.S. government. Which makes me worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, which can be sort of getting on a more slippery slope as yeah. we move forward. On the other hand, cryptocurrency relies upon cryptology, which is uh, – cryptology is nothing but a way to um, – is 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 a way to code you have a key like like if mm-hmm. i can scramble a code and only you can unlock it with the right key and because it's mathematically based no one else except you can can have access to it because you have the key so what we're relying on in the in that sense is cryptology and mm-hmm. the and the ability to um code things and to provide someone with a key who can unlock it. Um, mm-hmm. And that, so that's a much more technical reliance on a mathematical formula as opposed to the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. Yeah. So in that sense, um, what you've seen a lot in the press lately are governments, um, whether it's um, Britain or whether it's France or maybe the United States, and they're saying, Oh no! Cryptocurrency is this will never work. Right, right. Well, it'll never. Of course, they're going to say that because mm-hmm. they're the ones that hold the you know the reserve currency or the the fiat currency as it's called today. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're the ones that control that. They don't want to see something come in and upset that balance. Yeah. And cryptocurrency is exactly that thing that can upset the balance mm-hmm. or the control exerted by governments over their own currencies. That's why it's scary to, um, but I should say mm-hmm. that. So what's what's sort of like the boiling point, right? Well, let me just make a, a quick mm-hmm. analogy. Back when the internet came around, which was, I'm going to go to mid-90s, late-90s, guess who was most concerned about the proliferation of the internet? I'm going to guess government? No, no. It was Banks? <laughs> no, it was oh. the telecom companies. Oh, okay. Because they controlled you know, I could pick up a phone, a landline, and call mm-hmm. you on a landline, and they would make they they would profit from that. Mm-hmm. And so, all of a sudden, the internet was a new way to exchange information, but mm-hmm. you know, back and forth. And so, they were most threatened. Um, this, is, this is no different than cryptocurrency, where the governments of the world are most threatened because they control the existing fiat currencies of the world, and cryptocurrency is. Is it decentralized? Mm-hmm. But the stakes seem a bit higher. Yes. Yes. Yes, because it's at the heart of the financial system. Yeah, and the heart of our oppressive regime mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, what what do you see as like this point 
this, I don't know how to say it except for boiling point when um, like the populace of the globe is more invested in crypto as opposed to fiat currency. Mm. And you start to see the erosion of power because the control of currency usually gives government power. Like what does that boiling point look like <laughs> for for people? Do you know what it, for for the citizens of countries? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, cryptocurrencies is at a point where its value ha- fluctuates quite dramatically. Yeah, it's true. And so that it can't quite yet be used as a true currency because if you're using a currency like a dollar you want its value to remain as stable as possible because Mm -hmm. when i give you a dollar in five days from now you want to know that's still a dollar or still worth a dollar if i give you a bitcoin today and in five five days from now it could be half of the value that i gave you or conversely it could be twice the value Mm -hmm. because it's highly volatile at the moment i think it's going to take some period of time where the um, the underlying value of a Bitcoin or Ethereum is somewhat stable, so that so that people and so that um, people can exchange that value back and forth and be more confident that um, that that it is stable and is not subject to wild fluctuations. And we're I don't think we're anywhere near that point yet. Yeah. So it, that one of the reasons that it's a very speculative investment today is because of the value that can swing so wildly. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people have a tolerance for risk. And so, I would, you know, to be involved with cryptocurrency today is to accept the risk that comes with it of the volatility, the up and down of it. Mm-hmm. And as you know, there have been a handful of people who, you know, first bought some stuff back in, I think Bitcoin was, was it 08 or 09? When it was first introduced, there was a gentleman, or actually, um, I think it's Satoshi Nakamoto, Mm -hmm. was the gentleman who wrote, well, no one actually knows who he was. (laughs) It was a pen name, so to speak, Uh at the time. He was anonymous. He wrote a a white paper. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And he put it out, I think the internet, uh, he put it out on the internet and people started to read it and go, wow, this really makes sense. You could, you could actually do this. And that gave, that was the birth of Bitcoin, was nothing but a white paper written by an anonymous individual. And still to this day, um, people wow. don't, don't exactly know who it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gave birth to all of these cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you've probably... It's a cool s- origin story. For y- sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It really is. Um, so what moves um, crypto towards stability? More widespread use. Okay. I think more widespread use. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, I bought something with crypto about a month ago, and I just simply put a QR code on my phone and pointed yeah. it at somebody else's phone and and immediately the transfer happened in about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. It was the easiest transfer I've ever done versus, you know, wiring money in the federal wise. The convenience of cr- mm-hmm. cryptocurrency is quite, quite amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was super impressed when I just put my phone up to someone else's phone and zap, it was they had it. Yeah. You know, that was, that was quite amazing. Yeah. And in the long run, can it become more stable than fiat currency because it's based on math and not just the mm-hmm. good faith in your mm-hmm. government? Mm-hmm. 
I think it has the potential to, yes. And there's, you know, there's a handful of people who say that it is the future and others that say this will never work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with so much controversy surrounding it, generally when you find a subject matter that has a huge controversy around yeah. it, it ends up being more likely than not that it will eventually um, – the reason that there's so much controversy... Uh, there's so it, much at stake. There's so much at stake, and there's so many people who are definitely afraid of it. And I mentioned the governments who are afraid of it because it would upset their control of their own currency. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something definitely to um, kind of keep in the back of your mind and and realize that, yeah, there's this new kid on the block, this new currency on the block. It's a whole new different concept. And um, it's something to keep your eye on. Um, because it's so volatile, I would tend to, you know, if you've got some mad money, so to speak, yeah. that you, um, you know, you might want to get a crypto wallet and put, you know, $100 in it kind of thing and just kind of let it sit there and see what you can, may or may not be able to do with it. But yeah. I wouldn't do much more with it, at the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. than that at the, at the current time. Yeah. Yeah, this is like a great segue to also ask sort of a couple last questions. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, I felt very blessed to to be able to just talk freely about money and not in a negative way in my upbringing and to be able to understand like how to use it and how to save it and how to invest it and how to take risks with it and how to say like, no, I can't take a risk right now you know, and, and really sort of make those decisions in an autonomous way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is not part of our schooling. It's not right. part of a lot of our family units. It's money has a very, and rightfully so in some ways, but rightfully not so in some ways, you know, negative, heavy intensity. And a lot of people don't really want to touch the conversation. Um, and as I grow older, you know, one thing I'm reading now is like financial books, you know, like I w- I'm reading Miss Independent Woman right now, <laughs> which I think is hysterical, but uh, bad title, great book, um, and have a bunch of financial wellness podcasts queued up, you know, like things how to make my credit score better by just charging a hundred bucks and sure. then paying it off right away, mm-hmm. right? Things that um, any tips you have, especially if you want to start your own business, mm-hmm. just right out of the gate. They could be existential because money sometimes moves into that space. They could be practical, just financial mm-hmm. wellness tips. Right. I, I guess I would, first thing I would talk about is debt, taking on debt. Um, and just to say that there is a, um, th- because I bring that out only because that can get you in trouble quickest. Mm-hmm. Um, when you borrow money and then are not able to repay it, and then that becomes very problematic, and you can lose businesses because of that. Yeah. Um, and so it's important. Some debt is 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 necessary. There's no doubt. Um, but overextending is not 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 ever really a good idea. Okay, I got asked a question in that space. How do you know what debt is necessary, and then what debt is overextension? Right. I mean, I, by your ability to repay it. Okay. I've never, uh, I would just simply say never take more debt than you could, you know you can pay off. Okay. So let's say you take $1,000 in debt because mm-hmm. you want to start an online business. Mm-hmm. 
and you think you're going to be able, think you're going to be able to pay it back with yes. said revenue, and that doesn't happen, right? How, like, how do you gauge that scope? Well, if it's if it's a thousand dollars, you may be able to handle that in a, you know, in a year or whatever okay, to, to pay that back mm-hmm. through through your own. Um, other job, which is act the one that's actually supporting you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because typically most new companies are started while you're already, you know, earning money doing something, and then you're you're sort of taking a leap to try and do something that you'd really like to. Yeah. So this, I just want to interject quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, this comes up a lot in my session space where mm-hmm. someone says, should I quit my full-time job mm-hmm. to start this other venture? And generally my answer is no. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that there is, an, you know, the return on time as if you don't have enough time to do both things simultaneously and then maybe I should move into this other thing so like maybe asking this debt question could really help you in that interim space of kind of hustling when no one's watching Mm because it's not your full-time job yeah I think that's important that um you know um a bird in the hands two in the bush kind of thing is the the you know, what you're pursuing now that is actually able to support you financially, um, you should always be just super protective of that. And then when, you know, it's sort of like you'll know when it's time or to, to move into, you know, to leave that particular profession and move into something else, but only when you're able to, when it you can see a clear path to, you know, providing the same financial benefit um, as the as your previous job, but you know that there could be much greater financial benefit in the future because this is the thing that you know you're passionate about and you wanted to move into to begin with. So, mm-hmm. again, I'll go back to the series of of sustained small steps over a long period of time. You you'll be very surprised in the progress that you'll be able to make. Mm-hmm. And that also means the financial progress you'll be able to make over yeah. that over that time. Yeah. And I think that can just be a little trippy for people because it is, you know, a six, 12, 18 month, three year long game. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that sometimes is also very confusing when someone says, I want to stop working for someone else and I want to start my own business, is that the vision of the long game it yes. is like the most, it, it is the goalpost. It, it is. It's the moving goalpost. Oh, that was a three-year goal. Now I have a 10-year goal. Right. There's, it, right. You you have to look far, that far down the road because when that time comes and it'll come quicker than you think, um, you'll be much, much more well-prepared. Um, I mean, if you look at some of the greatest companies that, you know, uh, that it becomes huge success stories. They started out as very small, mm-hmm. um, very niche-related businesses, but through a series of steps, small steps over a sustained period of time, they've grown it into a much, much greater mm-hmm. than than perhaps they may have ever thought in the beginning to begin with. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I think um, you know, niche is very important. And then, you know, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on this because over time I've realized that I'm not great at managing people. So I'd rather make less money and have a smaller business that is under my own scope. And then that has curtailed some of my 
goals or pressure of what I thought expansion was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, and is there any time in the course of your own entrepreneurial trajectory that you decided, you know, I, I, more money isn't better, more employees isn't better, more like progress in the scheme of society isn't better. Mm -hmm. I'd rather go in this direction. Yes. You should always listen, listen to your inner voice that's, that may tell you, well, that leap is too big or that uh, expanding in that way or that manner or taking on that amount of um, risk is not something that you feel good with. Then uh, l listen to what your what what your intuition is telling you. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's important. There's a you know another set of individuals who would not listen to that voice and would just totally press ahead with um, you know huge expansion plans and. Um, you know, doesn't always turn out the way that they had thought. But mm -hmm. um, to, to answer your question, yes, I have sort of reined things back in when I thought they had gone too far and that was either I was either accepting too much risk that I didn't quite understand or putting myself in a position that was maybe a little bit uncomfortable or I was trying to accomplish too much too soon. Um, yes, there can be uh, drawbacks to that as well. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to strike a balance. And because, you know, and you need to be able to go to sleep at night, yeah. right, without something just always bugging <laughs> you. Because, we're all about <laughs> self-care. I mean, we've all been through that before where you, yeah. you've, you've done something or you've overextended yourself and then you can't sleep for a week or two and you're like, oh, boy, this is not how I want to uh, live the rest of my mm -hmm. life. And mm -hmm. somehow, so, you know, you test those boundaries, um, um, you know, your own boundaries, you know, Several, mm -hmm. several times a year and you realize. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's like a great note to wrap up on and also for the listener base. I think one thing I've noticed in the last 10 years and took a long time to notice is that, you know, my emotional health, my relational health, my spiritual health, my financial health are all linked. And the same mechanisms that I use to say like, oh, I need to take more vitamin B is actually the same way I can look at my bank account. Ex right. Yeah. Or invest in a way that feels um, just in alignment. Okay. Right. Positive. I mean, in, in the end, the same if, feedback. if you're not comfortable and feel comfortable with the, um, you know, all of the side effects of, of starting and moving forward your, your plan or your vision, um, you got to be mindful of that. Yeah. Of your own limitations. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes... Um, you know, working with other people who have things that you don't have mm -hmm. um, and to sort of take a, your own self-inventory to understand what are my strengths? And what, what am I what just are my, bad at? What are my weaknesses? <laughs> and to then perhaps go find people who have strengths in where your weaknesses are and bring together a team that can, that can help move uh, that whole, you know, your whole mm -hmm. goal forward. Um, yeah. So self-assessment is a huge uh, ability that I know. Um, and to be candid with yourself. Remember, we were talking about having others be candid with you. Yeah. And that was great feedback. But maybe even more importantly is your own self-assessment. And, and to be honest with yourself mm -hmm. and to uh, feel comfortable in the things that you undertake to, to move your goal forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay, well, thank you so much, Dad. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Turner, for being on the RISOcast this week, and I'm excited to publish this I've, episode. I've seen the magazine. I think it, it looks great. I wish you the best of luck with it. I'm, oh, I'm 100% you. in support behind it. Yeah, All yeah, right. we love it, and I think that it's it already has a global footprint, and that's exciting to see that that many people want to get back into print and also like get out of the digital space a little bit, so I'm excited about that. All right, that's yeah. super. Okay. Best of luck. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the RISOcast. If you love this episode, please download, subscribe, share it, and pass it along to a friend. Please subscribe to our RISO Magazine subscription at www.risomagazine.com. You can find Sue Hunt's work, your host, at www.suehunt.com. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information, education, and artistic inspiration. RISO is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.